Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Chris Geis, and this is episode 18, recorded on Monday, July 15th, 2019. The title of this episode is On Living Life, featuring motorcyclist and artist Jay. In this episode, I chat with Jay, who is the newest co-host on the Creative Riding Motorcycle Podcast. On a recent episode of Creative Riding, Jay talked about the motorcycle accident she had and how she is now temporarily out of work with a broken leg. As she is also an artist, she wants to use her artwork to help support herself and pay her medical bills while she's on the mend. So I reached out to her to join me on the show and tell her story. I also talked briefly about my riding in Pennsylvania and Maryland this past weekend and the special guest I interviewed last night for my next episode. So, you want to ride a motorcycle? Well, you've come to the right place, because this is the So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle Podcast. Before we get into the main part of tonight's episode, I just wanted to go over some news and give some shout outs. So this past weekend, I rode the Z900RS to the Gettysburg, Pennsylvania area for the Loud Pipes podcast annual meetup. This is the third year in a row that I've joined the Loud Pipes crew in Pennsylvania, and it's been a blast every time. So I just wanted to thank Rich, John, and Rico from Loud Pipes for arranging everything and showing us all a great time, and also to Dangerous Dave and his wife and their friends for being very gracious and generous hosts and hostesses and allowing us to hang out by their really cool travel trailers at the campground and for serving us some awesome meals. And thank you also again to Dangerous Dave for leading us all on a great group ride through the Pennsylvania countryside on Saturday afternoon. I also got a chance to meet Rich's brother, Kenny, who, by the way, happens to have a Kawasaki Vulcan S in the same color that I do. So I think that's really cool. So I finally got to meet him in person. And Kenny got the 2019 Motorcycle Podcasters Challenge trophy to take home with him and display on his mantle for a while, as he played a big part on the Loud Pipes podcast team for the MPC this year. Also, I want to give a shout out to Steve from Special Case Customs, who also joined us this weekend and then worked out a meetup for he and I to meet up with Alex from Maryland Moto on Sunday morning so that Alex could lead us on a great ride through the Catoctin Mountain Park in Northern Maryland. Hope I pronounced that right. Catoctin. Yeah, that sounds right. So Alex, it was awesome meeting you and thank you again for a really great ride. And since Steve and Alex are also Cafe Racer podcast listeners, it was cool to have this little listener group meet up for that podcast as well. And then finally, later Sunday morning, I met up with new rider G4, who has been on two of my prior episodes. It was really cool to see him on his Yamaha Tracer 900 GT, and it was obvious that he's building his skills and getting pretty good at handling that bike. So G4, it was awesome meeting you in person, and thank you very much for picking up the tab at lunch. It was greatly appreciated. I also want to thank you for uh, touring Alex and I through the Gettysburg National Park. I guess that's what it's called, the National Monument National Park. And uh, just kind of taking us from site to site and giving us some of the insight, some of your insight, things you've learned about the history of the, the battle at Gettysburg and what happened there was really kind of cool. He, he, he just took us from uh, one location to another within the park and kind of just gave us some context and things on what had transpired during one of the, one of the famous battles that, that occurred there at Gettysburg. So that was really cool. And I know Alex enjoyed it as well. So uh, G4, thanks again. Appreciate it. So I put in 723 miles for the three-day weekend. So all in all, it was a really great time. 
In other news, Gene and I finished watching the Twist of the Wrist 2 DVD, which was really awesome. And about a quarter of the way done reading the first Twist of the Wrist book, I read the, the second book. I'm kind of doing things a little out of order like I talked about in the prior episode, but a quarter of the way through the first book, which I'm also really enjoying. And finally, I wanted to mention that last night I had the honor and privilege of interviewing Keith Code, who is, of course, the author and creator of those books and DVDs, and also the founder and owner of the California Superbike School, of which many of you have probably already heard. So stay tuned as that episode will be coming out within the next week. And with that, let's get on to tonight's interview. Hope you enjoy it. All right. Awesome. Awesome. So my special guest tonight is Jay. Who um, and I'll let I'll let her tell me in which order these these are the most important. But I would say she's an avid motorcyclist, an artist, and she is also the co-host on the Creative Riding Motorcycle Podcast. So welcome, Jay. Hello, thank you for having me. Oh, I think pleasure. that that order suits me. I, I have no uh, disagreements with that at all. <laughs> okay, awesome, awesome. So then uh, maybe maybe we'll let's let's start we'll start talking motorcycles. I know there's a lot of different things you know I want to talk to you about tonight, but. Um, so since since you are an avid motorcyclist, um, if I remember correctly, uh, you commute well up, up until recently, right? And we'll get into that. But uh, you basically commute by motorcycle, like that's your main means of transportation, right? Yep. Yeah, I've been commuting since 2012 uh, on by motorcycle okay. for the most part. Yeah. Cool. Now, do you also have a car, other vehicle, or is it just motorcycle? Uh, I have a four wheel vehicle. I have a truck, but barely ever drive it it's mainly for like moving things that i can't fit on my motorcycle which Mm. i will find a way to strap (laughs) it to my motorcycle i have stories of some crazy things i've strapped down just because i hate i hate just being in a car i have it gives me anxiety and especially it's funny because a lot of people especially in la they're like oh i don't want to ride out in la that seems really scary and uh would give me anxiety I'm the exact opposite. Being in a car in LA gives me more anxiety because I feel like I have less control versus uh-huh. with a motorcycle, especially in California, you can split out here. Sure. So I feel like I have more avenues to avoid getting hit yeah. uh, versus being in a car. So. Yeah, <laughs> Not my, uh, I mean, they, you know, we, we call them cages for a reason, right? And it's actually, it's interesting you mentioned that because I, I, I get what you're saying because on the one hand, you know, and I've talked about this in the past, you know, a car gives you a certain, may give you a certain degree of uh, comfort because, well, first of all, you have all the creature comforts, right? You know, you got heat and AC and all that kind of cool stuff, but you are surrounded by metal and whatever and crumple zones and things like that. But I get what you're saying. On the other hand, it, it does feel limiting. I mean, I guess that's why we all love riding motorcycles because it is that, even though it can be dangerous, it's that feeling of freedom and, and whatnot. Yeah. So, and I discovered recently, as we'll probably get into in a little bit with my recent incident, um, that I, I must have, I guess I have underlying claustrophobia, mm-hmm. which has been confirmed recently, So, which would also probably make sense as to why I feel freer and more comfortable on mm-hmm. a motorcycle. Right. But it's an interesting point, too, because like one of the things I've talked about, and, and we'll talk, too, about gear a little bit, you know, on the subject of gear, you know, because I did an, an episode called To Gear or Not To Gear, because I know, you know, people have different opinions on that. And I think it's for a similar reason, like, I, I happen to like to wear gear, and I, you know, I suggest people wear gear. But I do understand that there are certain restrictions that come along with that. So, yes, you get the benefit of the safety, and it doesn't make you impervious, and it doesn't make you, you know, like you can't get hurt. 
but it, it can do a lot of things, you know, if something does happen, but it is restrictive. You know, it's hot and it can be bulky and, and all those kind of things. So mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of interesting, like, how do you strike that balance, you know? Yeah, so. yeah, I know definitely when it comes to gear for me, uh, I w- oh, man, I think back on my earlier writing years and how much of an idiot I was and why I, uh, <laughs> because my girlfriend for the longest time, especially when I was riding the Harley, I would always wear um, fingerless gloves. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do it to be cool or whatever. I did it because the tactile sensation, I felt like if my fingertips could feel the levers, I just felt more connected. And yeah. I, every time I tried to put on gloves, it always made me feel like I couldn't really, I just didn't have that sensation in my fingertips. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time, she was like, you need to wear full finger gloves. And then eventually just, maybe a year and a half ago I finally gave up and I was like okay I'm gonna start wearing uh better gear and so she has slowly been nagging me into wearing like more safer and uh more coverage in the gear department yeah I gotcha well that's interesting too the point that you raise about you know feeling in control of the motorcycle because I've had like like for example I have uh over gloves like to like waterproof over gloves right so if you know throw them in the top case and I'm out and it's raining you know I can put something on if I'm not wearing waterproof gloves but I've noticed that that does add some bulk and you know yeah my my feeling of control is not quite as good so then it's like it's like borderline do I wear these things to keep my hands dry and be more comfortable which potentially is safer or do I not wear them, let my hands get soaked, but at least, you know, I've got good grip on the controls kind of thing. So it, it is just a constant balancing game. And, you know, I guess in part, the more you're willing to spend or the more you're able to spend, the better quality gear you can get that fits better and, and performs better and whatever. But it is an interesting trade-off kind of thing. Yeah, and I think also for me, um, you know, being female, I have uh, less options as far as gear that fits properly. And for the longest time, it was really difficult to find any type of gear that I could find because I'm on the more petite side um, especially with gloves all of the fingers would be like about you know half an inch past my fingertips so I right. definitely felt really uncomfortable riding in those but yeah. uh, recently I found some better options and both me and my girlfriend are constantly on the hunt whenever we find like a good brand that fits us like we will just you know scoop it up because it's it's hard to come by especially yeah. for, for smaller people. Yep, that makes sense. Yeah, my girlfriend has kind of similar similar problem, I guess. And in many cases, you know, she buys men's gear. If, if, if that's the best option and if it's the best, you know, she goes that route. And it's one of the things I like with like what Haley Bell is doing with Women Riders World Relay and just trying to bring attention to, you know, women riders and getting manufacturers to look at, hey, you know, e- even if not for just wanting to support the women market, even just from a pure dollar's and sense point of view, it's like, hey, look at how big this market is. <laughs> you know, why don't yeah. you, why don't you people wise up and like, you know, you you, you talk about the, this industry shrinking and all this kind of stuff. Like, let's support the people out there wanting to ride. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's been. I mean, I know Liza has talked about it several times, and I mean, it's they're coming around slowly but surely. But it's kind of like uh, the the people who are really pushing for the change are the women who are like getting. And starting their own businesses and like mm-hmm. doing it themselves because they're just like, look, if you guys aren't going to do it, then we'll do it. And I mean, th- if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. I think it's better because then it's actually people making things that they know what other women are going to want. 
Sure. So I just, it's just about, that's why uh, my girlfriend and I, when we find, especially companies that are owned by women or manufactured by women, we definitely support them because they're not doing it just to get like women's money. They're doing it because they're real writers, you know, and they know what it's like to be in that situation, and not be able to find gear that works for them. Yeah, so. totally. I know even, you know, I interviewed Haley Bell recently and, uh, you know, she said she's actually starting. It's it's not like like a motorcycle, women's motorcycle clothing line, because she's a similar thing. It's like okay, I'm I'm not gonna wait around forever. I'm gonna do something about it. So there's opportunity there. So you know, it, it's it just makes sense. It's like it's it's good business. You know, you find an opportunity and you know how to fill the need and you know what's needed and wanted and you just go for it. So yeah, yeah and the thing that's, that's cool. really cool and that I mean, I think some of these bigger companies are gonna they're gonna try to jump back in once they see. The, the smaller ones making uh, a change because the women writers it's it it's not as big as men like there's not as many men but it's connected like there's like three degrees of separation between women writers like mm-hmm. I've talked to some people and I'd be like they'll be talking about one of their female writers and I'm like oh wait I I think I know that person from this other person <laughs> okay. you know what I mean right so right. Word spreads really fast and so you know that's why I think even something like we have babes right out that you know just what five years ago started as something small and then just blew up because women writers will tell other writers and you know it's there's a pretty decent word of mouth network um within within female the female writer areas so yeah yeah and maybe they're just better at communicating (laughs) i mean i mean you know like well, but I mean, you know, look, there's, there's all kinds of people, and I always try to avoid generalities about a- any group, whether it's men, women, whatever, right? But, you know, in many ways, women are known to be better communicators, right? So it's yeah. like guys yeah. are just like hang out and grunt at each other and go ride, whatever. <laughs> yeah, so, like, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so as far as like commuting by, by motorcycle, how, how did that come about? Like, was that just kind of out of necessity, or was it a thing where you're just like, you know what, I'm just going to start riding motorcycles like how'd that come about well um i have a i had a younger brother who's four years younger than me and he was obsessed when i lived at home he was obsessed with dirt biking and like bugs my parents for the longest time to get a dirt bike and so i kind of got into it i was always interested in motorcycles um just as a kid i always thought they were really cool and um you know, I was always interested, but never thought about getting one until my brother started pushing for the dirt bike. And then once he got the dirt bike and I was like, oh, okay, that looks like so much fun. I want one. Mm -hmm. And so then I got one and I was maybe 15, 14, 15 when I got the first uh, dirt bike. So that was my first experience on two wheels. And I did that for a couple of years doing, you know, uh, dirt biking out in Southern California, tons of fun, just loved, loved it. It was challenging because I was short. So like the Mm. dirt bike was always really tall, but that experience prepared me for when I later got onto a street bike because I did all of the falling, falling down and getting used to like using the clutch and the gears and um, going through rough terrain and what to do when you get on gravel and and really sketchy situations. And so I think any of the fear that might have come with approaching a, a, a street bike, that was all taken care of, you know, with the dirt bike scenario. Mm-hmm. And so it really gave me great preparation for when I got onto the street. 
Um, so then uh, I, I moved to L.A. in my 20s. I lived, I grew up about an hour and a half southeast of L.A. Mm-hmm. And so when I was in my 20s, I wanted for my whole life, I always wanted to live directly in Los Angeles. And so I moved out here and um, I had a car at the time, but it was a, it was a, a bucket and basically had to take the bus for many years and ride a bicycle for many, many years right. to, to commute and just basically, um, you know, barely making ends meet because it's it's pretty savage out here working, mm-hmm. sure. trying to, to pay, pay the bills. And so I always wanted to get a motorcycle when I was out in L.A. I was like, man, that's that was all I could think about was just I wanted a ninja. And um, but I knew I was like, oh, I was really short. And so I had this idea that there's no way I could really ride a street bike because I was so short. No one was ever telling me that uh, just because you're short doesn't mean you can't ride. Right. In fact, I was getting the exact opposite message. That was the message that people were telling me, like the advertisements, everything. Um, even when I did research online, the people that were uh, making articles about what what bikes you should ride as a short rider. And so that kind of was difficult for me because I was like, okay, I want to ride, but how am I going to be able to do this? And so I got into a relationship and then I, c- I continued to think about motorcycles and just to an obsessive point. And my girlfriend at the time was like, it no if you get a motorcycle then you're out the door and so <laughs> right. i was like damn okay that's really messed up and uh it, it was kind of difficult too because we lived right down the street from like a motorcycle gang mm-hmm. <laughs> and so all of their weekly they would have like just hangouts and parties and you just hear all of these loud harleys just pulling up and i would just go outside and just like enviously look at them and just be like <laughs> oh jealous you know just soak it and, in yeah pretty much and um and then after i got out of that relationship i started to i still that obsession never went away and i noticed a lot of women riding in la at that time and this was maybe 10 years ago and i just started i was like wow there's a lot of women riding in la that i could see that i hadn't really noticed before and then it was in 2012 and i was i had an appointment uh, with somebody that I had to see on a weekly basis and I would always walk past this dealership, Honda dealership and they had all the mo- shiny motorcycles out in the lot every time I walked by, if it was open I always had to go in and sit on every single bike <laughs> that was there <laughs> they hated me because I was never going to buy anything, I just was sitting on all the motorcycles mm-hmm. so I did that for about a month and a half and every every time I walked by I always had to go in and then one day, I, I was just like, I had my eye on the Rebel. Because so I was like, if I'm going to get a bike, I want to start off small for my right. size. Um, and I didn't have anybody to teach me or whatever. So it was going to all be self-taught. So mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to start off slow. And so I saw one of the Rebels, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. So I just got the bike. It was cool. a Rebel 250. And... Uh, I was living in West Hollywood at the time, and so I learned from YouTube, essentially. Uh, I already knew how to ride from dirt bikes, so I had that understanding, that muscle memory, but just as far as like how to ride in the street with cars and mm-hmm. all of that scenario, uh, I did all of my riding for about a month straight, all at night. Just the streets would be empty, which is a luxury in Los Angeles, right. and... Um, 
just up and down the neighborhoods, getting used to stopping, uh, front brake, rear brake, all of that maneuvering. Did that for about a month. And then I started uh, commuting regularly after that point, Mm -hmm. um, from that point. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's it's actually it's interesting that you mentioned like the dirt experience and learning to ride gravel and stuff like that because uh, this past weekend I uh, met up with the guys from Loud Pipes. They had their annual meetup, so Saturday we did a group ride through like eastern Pennsylvania. Well, actually, actually mid southern Pennsylvania. But anyway, really really good ride. But part of it, the guy who was leading it didn't realize that part one of the one of the roads we ended up on to kind of go through this park was gravel road. So we all come bombing down the pavement or whatever, and, and all of a sudden it's like, whoop, here comes the gravel. And and the first thought in my head was, wow, I wish I had some off-road riding experience. <laughs> and, and it's interesting because my girlfriend and I have talked about, like, the, talked about that. Like she said that she would like to learn you know, to ride off-road and stuff like that for that reason. Because you hear that's you know, one of the things that's talked about is it's good to develop that ability to handle a bike on loose surfaces and know how to slide and if the back goes out, you know, how to handle it so when it happens on the street, you know, you've, you've experienced it. It's not, you know, not that upsetting. And, you know, some of the, a lot of the best road racers, you know, they, they, they ride dirt and stuff like that. Like Valentino Rossi has his ranch where they, they, you know, they, they train on the dirt and all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of, yeah. that's kind of interesting. I, I, it's essential. Whenever I get, I have a lot of people, especially in LA, my coworkers and people I meet, um, especially when they see me and they see how small I am and everything like, Oh, you know, there, I either get two types of people, like the one who is like, oh, uh, you can ride that big motorcycle? Wow, how do you do that? Like really condescending. And yeah, then there's yeah. the other type who's like, oh, man, like right that's <laughs> awesome, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and then yeah, after yeah. that, they'll be like, you know, I, I want to get into riding, you know, what should I do? And the number one thing I always say is like start on the dirt. Like mm-hmm. get used to that feeling because what by the time you hit the streets in L.A., you're <laughs> You need that preparation because <laughs> right. I, I mean, I say it all the time on the creative writing podcast, like I'll hit potholes, I'll hit uh, trying to avoid homeless people that are jumping out in the middle of the street, cars that are just popping out of nowhere, you know, just some crazy whatever stuff in the street all the time. And that's just like the first 15 minutes of my ride. Mm-hmm. So you know, you got to be ready and prepared. And it's never like, uh, never, I, I always tell people never be calm on the streets of LA because you never know when something's going to happen. Sure. Yeah. You got to be alert. And yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's interesting too, you know, what you said about, you know, being a shorter person or whatever. One of, one of the coolest things I've seen was a YouTube video of a guy who, and I know this is not politically correct, but a midget was a you know small person. Right. And, and this guy was on a full size bike and the, the video is basically, I, I think it was just someone in a car behind him. It wasn't like a friend or anything who just videoed, right? So, you know, it's a red light. So the guy rolls up, stops the bike, hops off the bike, you know, keeps the bike standing. Light turns green. He hops back on the bike. It was like the coolest thing. It's like, and it just dawned on me how like, you know, if you really want to do something, you can figure it out. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's a way like, you know get out of your head the idea that there's limitations and can't be done and and all that kind of stuff. And I I think that applies a lot to motorcycling, like with what you're talking about. Yeah. And I mean, I think because that's why it's really important that I think a lot of people are changing the narrative now um, in my lifetime, because, you know, like I said, years ago when I was looking and doing research, having that false narrative that there's certain bikes you can't ride as a short rider, 
that really affected me subconsciously. You know, it gets in people's heads and it makes them doubt themselves and doubt their abilities. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I can't owe enough. There's two people, well, three people who changed my girlfriend because my girlfriend's also short. It, uh, three women who changed our lives. The first one was Liza from the uh, Motorcycles and Misfits podcast because mm-hmm. she, when she was at the Lucky Wheels garage, she brought her Duke 1290, a Super Duke, and we were like, oh, my God, that bike is massive, you know, and I was like, oh, I'll never be able to ride something like that. And she's like, don't you ever say that. You come <laughs> right. over here. She was like, no, you are not leaving here until I get you on this bike and I show you how to get on and off of a big bike like this. So she literally took like five, ten minutes with us, my girlfriend and I both, just like practicing getting on and off of it. And it was really an eye opener because it was somebody who that's like what a mentor does, you know. And so she she was the first person. And then uh, the next person was Jocelyn Snow, Mm -hmm. who is the ADV writer. We met her at the IMS last year and I, I was just like fanning out on her like oh my god like you're so awesome like I found out about her when Liza interviewed her on the podcast yep I've heard it yeah and they had the the GS 1250 there and and I was like asking I was like what are your tips like what's the magic and she was there in her socks on astroturf which was very slippery walks up to the bike this 1250 like it's nothing Mm -hmm. like it's a toy car and she's like oh no I just do this and then she it's like on the bike and I'm just staring at her like you just did black magic right in front of me because Mm -hmm. she's literally like like half an inch taller than I am and I'm five one and a half on a good day so she just had all of the confidence and she was so approachable and she was so friendly and nice um and that just was another step in the right direction for my mindset and then the third person um was my friend Sonia who we met at um, Babes Ride Out last year, and she had the SV650 that she had brought there. And I was like, oh, that's a dream bike. You know, I've always wanted to get a sport bike, and I never could imagine if I could even ride it because it's kind of bigger. And she's like, what? (laughs) She's like, no, you can ride this bike. She's like, no, I'm going to bring it by later, and you're going to take it for a test ride. And this was, mind you, on a gravel dirt area, I had just met her that day. Like she was telling me that I could ride her brand new 2018 bike. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And (laughs) she had enough faith in me. And she, sure enough, she brought the bike by and they just showed me how to hop on it. I got on there. I even, I accidentally did drop it and she totally was fine, but I took it for a ride. And then after that point, I was like, I'm getting an SV. And then, sure enough, like a few months later, that's when I got my my SV650. And ever since then, it's just been a dream. So, yeah, it's been a journey as far as, like, growing as a writer and the the steps that I've taken as far as get, building up confidence into what I can ride. And now I'm pretty much, like, I will take on anything. Even mm-hmm. my girlfriend and I are even talking about down the road getting a GS1200 because just because of the ones we saw Jocelyn Snow riding, like we would love to have an ADV bike. Yeah. Um, That'd be cool. Yeah. I've, 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 I've seen some of her videos like uh, on her Facebook page and, and whatnot. And it, it's just amazing how Jocelyn like snow handles, you know, handles those motorcycles. It's wild to yeah. watch. 
Yeah, we actually uh, picked up a, we have a Tiger 1050 that I bought off of a buddy. And that's one of the tallest bikes that we have. And Mm -hmm. it took some practice. Uh, We haven't taken it on a trip, but just like riding it around the block. (laughs) It was, it was a lot of fun to be able to like ride different types of bikes that once before I used to think I would never be able to ride. Yeah. Uh, it's very empowering and it's very exciting. And every time I, I hear a lot of women say what I used to say, where it's like, Oh, you know, I'm short, so I can't ride that. And the minute I hear someone say that, I'm like, no, you can, like there's ways of approaching it that, that will not stop you from writing it. You know? Right. Right. It's just, yeah, it's a matter of just, having the knowledge, the information about how the thing works and just the right technique and yeah, off you go. Yeah. And I think, uh, I don't remember who said it, but somebody had told me that, that shorter riders are actually have a tendency to be better riders because mm-hmm. tall people can take it for granted. You know, just throw your leg over and hop and ride off. Whereas we're, we have to be more aware, you know, like I'm constantly, okay, is there a gravel patch here? Is there a slope here? Cause if mm-hmm. I come to a stop, and I know that I don't have long legs, you know, how leaned over am I going to be? Am I right. going to be falling off the bike? Um, so I've definitely, through the years of riding, I just have a very, very high sense of awareness on the bike just because uh, to keep myself out of situations that could be precarious. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's interesting, too, what you mentioned about, you know, getting comfortable on bikes and, and being willing to ride anything. I mean, I'm like six foot, right? And it's just the past couple of months that I've, I've gotten to that point of like, okay, I'm willing to pretty much get on anything, you know, cause even yeah, as a new rider, you start out, it's like, all right, well, I want something that's not too crazy. I don't want something where if I whack the throttle accidentally, it's going to wheelie and throw me off the bike and all that kind of stuff. So it is just that progression, you know, getting more and more comfortable and it's basically just building the confidence in yourself that you know how to handle the machine. And, and it's one of the things, I don't, I don't know if you've caught in any of my, uh, my past episodes, but I had interviewed this guy fast eddie that has this moto jitsu program where he encourages people to practice riding skills in parking lots right so mm-hmm. you know in, in between doing courses and stuff he gives you kind of just a nice system of of drills and things that you can do to build confidence when you're not riding out on the street you know just to, to get better in general and one of the points he makes is when you understand motorcycles and you have the the right skill set, you can ride any motorcycle. You know, it, it's not the motorcycle that's the limiting factor. It's the rider. And, and which is good because that means by practicing and learning the right techniques, like you said, you can just learn to ride any bike and it's, and it doesn't become an issue, you know? Yes. I a hundred percent agree with that. I mean, I constantly uh, practice skills, you know, uh, after the creative writing podcast, when I would get home, I, there's a like, area where we do a lot of our practice writing and i'll just practice maneuvering like really tight maneuvers emergency braking i just try to stay up on that because i never want to feel so comfortable on the bike because like i said you know you you never know what's gonna happen you know and and it's funny because i'll tell people yeah i've had multiple accidents and the minute I tell someone that I've had an accident, there's almost like this judgment that sometimes happens, like, oh, you must not be a good rider or right. there's or like you're you know, irresponsible or so yeah, crazy yeah. or and something. Yeah. The thing is when I tell people that I I have over seventy five thousand miles commuting in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. uh, I would invite somebody to come to, out to Los Angeles and spend a month fucking commuting my I don't know if I can 
cuss on here, but that's fine. I, I'll market explicit. Not a problem. <laughs> uh, you know, I but I do. I tell people, okay, come over here, do a month of my commute, and see what I see every day, and see if you can not get three accidents. Because in this over seventy-five thousand miles, I've saved myself from deadly, deadly, potentially deadly um, accidents because of my awareness, because of my practice. I have videos of different situations that I've been in where in the moment I just reacted and saved myself. And then afterwards I'm like, what, what did I just do? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, you know, I have several videos like, uh, my girlfriend and I went on, on a trip up the coast. We went up to San Francisco and I was on the Harley, which was loaded up to like basically a a foot and a half taller than me of gear behind me on the Mm -hmm. back of the bike. About, 100 pounds worth of gear that I had strapped on the back. So it's a Harley, so it was a heavy bike. And I was splitting down the freeway. And this car, Buick, no turn signal, doesn't look in their mirror, cuts right in front of me, nearly hitting me. So then I have to, what I did is I merged to the right. There was a giant uh, RV on the right-hand side. So when I merged to the right, I had to avoid hitting that RV. Then I had to hit the throttle to go in front of this car that had cut me off. And then I split back to the left to re-merge into the splitting lane that I originally Mm -hmm. was in. And I did that all in one smooth motion. And I watched the video and I'm just like, I have no memory of how I did it. it. You know, it was (laughs) just like being on the bike so often and practicing so often, I think it just really reinforces those skills. Sure, you know? definitely. Yeah, I Which mean, is it, why, yeah, go ahead. Well, and I was going to say, you even mentioned earlier, like muscle memory, like people talk about that, and that's a part of like training, like any kind of physical activity, and also just getting those automatic responses, because it, it sounds like a situation like you're in, you, you don't have time to think about it. It's like you, you just need to act, and I think by doing all that training and practicing, the action you take is going to be a much better one than if you don't practice that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And, and as a daily writer, it's just something, uh, just doing it every day, you know, and I've never stopped learning. There's always things that I have to be aware of that I have to pay more attention. There's times where I, you know, don't have full attention and I'll have a close call and I'm like, okay, you know, I need to be mindful of that. Like I mm-hmm. had, uh, on our street where we live, um, I when I leave, I have to go to the left, which requires me to kind of make this cross across opposing traffic into the other lane, essentially kind of like a U-turn. Right. And I would do that every day. I didn't feel comfortable with it because the traffic that's oncoming, um, there's a blind spot because cars park on the street. And so I would always feel kind of anxious. And then one of those days I went to do that and I, there was a blind spot and there was a car that had been passing by and he T-boned me. Thankfully I didn't get hurt um, and he just hit the bike. But just having something like that, I was like, it reminded me that don't take for granted because I do that turn every day. You know, it just got something where I got comfortable. And like mm-hmm. I was saying, the minute you get comfortable, that's right. when things happen. That's exactly what happened to me. And so after that point, you know, I try to avoid any situation where I have to make a turn into an area where I have a blind spot. 
sure. you know, and that was a learn that was a lesson I had to learn, right. you know. And that, that's the thing, too, about experience. And, and obviously, some of those things you can pick up, you know, by whatever. You read books, you watch videos and things, but a lot of it is just experience and observing and seeing for yourself, like, what, you know, what risks are you willing to take and what risks are you not willing to take? Mm-hmm. You know, so. And it's interesting, too, like what you mentioned before about, you know, talking with people and mentioning you've had accidents and then sometimes you get kind of a an attitude or, or whatever, like people kind of make all kinds of assumptions. And, you know, that, that's why I always like this expression, you know, don't judge a person until you've walked a mile in their shoes. You know, it, it's like know something about who you're talking to or talking with before you decide, you know, what their life is like and, and, and <laughs> whether, you know, whether they're smart, not smart or whatever. You know, it's, it's, very, it's very easy to judge, I guess, is the point. Yeah, and yeah. I try to to always be critical of myself too like my very first accident I think um I think it could have I think it could have been avoided because I I had plans to go take the writing safety course just a few months later I was approaching that date so at the time I just had my permit Mm -hmm. and I really do believe that if I had taken the safety course and had a more awareness of what to do on the bike while you know street riding i think i could have avoided it um so i am always looking back on situations especially even my accidents where i'm like okay what could i have done maybe even if it was the other person's fault what could i have done to really say that i did everything in my control to avoid it Sure, because i i do always feel that there's always something that we can do to do something better next time around no absolutely no, I think it's good too because you take something that was a bad, a bad situation or almost a bad situation, and by analyzing it and looking at what you could have done differently or better, you, it's like something positive comes out of it. You know, so it's yeah. not just like wow, I, I get hit or I almost got hit. It's like okay, what what have I gained out of this? It's it's kind of finding the silver lining, I guess, for you know, a lack of better words. And and I, I do the same thing. It's like I've had, I've never you know, been in an accident on the motorcycle, but I've had a couple close calls and same thing. Like afterwards I look at it and I go, okay, you know, once, once the upset, you know, and sometimes, okay, it was a, a driver that did something dumb in a car and, and that could be real. I mean, some people do dumb things, but it's like, okay, fine. Once the anger goes away, it's like, all right, what, what was I missing there? What could have I done differently? Like I said, what, you know, what could I have done to not get in that situation or have spotted it sooner, you know, or something of that sort. And that, that's one of the things, one of the guys I interviewed recently is this guy, Dan, Dan, the fireman who was uh, an EMT in the fire department. And now he basically just does social media. He's got a YouTube channel. And one of the things he does that I like is he reviews, like people submit, his listeners submit like, you know, videos of people in motorcycle accidents. And he basically, you know, online walks people through it and goes, look, look at what's happening here. Look at the things that the rider could have picked up on, or this is what you could have done in this situation. So it takes something that was bad and it's like, okay, a lot of people could benefit from it, you know, which is like, okay, well, if I was in an accident and people could learn from my mistake or whatever, Hey, that's so much the better. Yeah. Yeah. That's why, um, I can't talk too much about the circumstances of this most recent accident that I had. Yeah, and actually, um, b- before you get into that, and, and I do yeah. want to hear about that. So I thought maybe I'll just give a little bit of the backstory about actually how this came about that we're, we're doing this interview tonight. Um, so I, the, the thing was that I thought was really cool. So I've been thinking for some time about, because I hear different stories about people who've had motorcycle accidents and with different outcomes, 
and, and things. And I've thought it would be good to start interviewing people about their accidents, you know, so that, you know, one, just like what was, what were the lessons learned? You know, what, what happened? What do they think they could have done differently? What are the lessons, you know, other, other people could take from that? And so, you know, I was listening to creative writing recently, you know, and you were talking about this accident that you had. And so that, that kind of struck me like, hey, here's, here's a cool person to talk to about this and just see what we could all learn from your experience. But then the other thing that really struck me was how you mentioned, you know, and it kind of sucks, but you don't have health insurance now, I guess, right? So uh -huh. you're, you're basically having to foot the bill for all your medical expenses and stuff. And, you know, you had mentioned how your kind of person doesn't want to, like, take handouts and stuff like that. And so you're like, you know, hey, I'm an artist, and so I want to start using my art, you know, doing art projects and stuff as a way to, you know, while you're not working on your other jobs because you're, you're laid up right now, basically, right? Um, that you could do it through your art. And I was like, wow, that is really cool. Like, I really, I really, I really <laughs> like that spirit of, you know, something bad happens and some people might go, oh my God, my life, and it's so terrible. And it just sounds like you kind of took and go, okay, yeah, this thing sucks, but, you know, I'm just going to make the best out of it. So, uh, anyway, so that'll get, we'll talk a little bit too about your art and stuff because, uh, you know, I, I'll just mention, you know, I contacted you, just whatever, it was a couple of days ago. I was like, hey, would you like to come on the show? And you agreed. It's like, okay, that's freaking awesome. And then I don't know if it was before or after, but I'm like, hey, you know what? I'd love to have a piece of art of my Z900 RS. So, you know, so I commissioned uh -huh. you to do a piece, which I can't wait to see. But uh, I, I, don't know, I, just, I just love that whole story. So with that kind of as the, as the backdrop, so if you want to just talk a little bit about what you can. I know you said that the accident still being investigated and stuff, so you, yeah. you're not at liberty to say everything about it. But Yeah, well, share. as far as... Um, so like I said, I have had multiple accidents, and after... The, the last, the very last accident that I had, I was just like, okay, I want to just, whatever I'm doing, like, I need to step up my game. So I really, like, invested in practicing more. I've been telling my girlfriend, like, we need to refresh on our, we've taken the beginner and the intermediate safety courses. And I told her, I was like, I want to take a refresher. And um, I upgraded my gear, so I started wearing full finger gloves. I started wearing, I never, I used to just wear like a vest, mm -hmm. uh, but now I'll wear like a full jacket, um, upgraded my helmet, so I have a better uh, helmet, and um, started wearing boots, because before I would ride in sneakers. Um, so, you know, I've been really trying to, and I used to be a, a, a little bit of a squid, I have my squid ways uh, a little bit uh, kind of wild sometimes on the bike. And I even tried to just really just tone everything down because I, I enjoy riding and I want to keep riding. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to ride so recklessly that I end my life or, you know, God forbid I lose my legs, you know. So I really just try to keep in my mind to to um because what happens for me is a lot of times, especially in L.A. with traffic and drivers, I'll just have an interaction with one of those people or three of them. And I'm just like idiot after idiot after idiot I see. And then I start my anger starts to boil over. Right. And once I start to get into that emotion while I'm riding, you know, you just get this tunnel vision. And uh, me and my buddy were talking about it because he had has had the same thing where once you get in that like oh my god you're pissed off mm -hmm. you kind of do he, he was telling me how he, when he got pissed off one time he just you know hit the throttle because this guy was being a jerk and he just wanted to get out of there and then he started to ride a little bit you know higher 
a little bit crazier. And then yeah. he didn't even realize he watched the video later. And I guess he had passed the cop. But he mm-hmm. didn't have any memory of it because he was so in his head and emotional. Yeah. Um, you know, so I was even trying to like tone, separate myself emotionally from any interactions. So that's why this last accident threw me through a loop. And honestly, I don't have any memory of how it happened. So that's part of why I can't discuss it, which is also why the investigation is going on. Um, but what I can say is what I had told the insurance company is I was going into a left turn lane. Um, it was a dedicated turn lane, but the light was not a dedicated arrow. So mm-hmm. it was basically a green light and you uh, turn, you know, yielding to the oncoming traffic. Right. And there was, the only thing I remember is there was an SUV in front of me. And I have a vague memory of them pulling out into the intersection as if they were going to turn. And they started turning their wheels. And the last thing I have a vague memory of is I saw them slam on their brakes. Okay. And then the next thing I know, I was in the next lane to the left of me and I got T-boned. So obviously I got hit and from the damage that's on the bike, um, it looks like she pinned me on like the back part of the exhaust and where the foot pegs were and Mm -hmm. back. So I'm thinking I probably tried to avoid the car in front of me, pin the throttle, move to the left. And then I was like, Oh, right. I'm in opposing traffic and then tried to like get out of it. Right. And then that person hit me. That's the only thing I can think that happened. Mm-hmm. But And so that was any... that was on the right side of the bike. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. um, there it I just can't there would be no reason for me to go around the car. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I don't do that. There would be no reason for me to do that, especially if I can't see what's in front of that car. Right. Um so I think it had to have been like an emergency maneuver that was kind of stupid because if it puts me in the other lane, you know, I'm right in, in the way of danger. So that's the only thing I can think yeah. to explain what happened. Right. Um, I mean, it could be even a thing. I mean, who knows for sure, right? But I wasn't there, obviously. But it could even be a thing. Like, like I could see where you, you take an action based on what you see and then something else appears like there's a, a, new, a new danger that you weren't aware of. And then, then that move doesn't make sense anymore, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, I don't, that's, I don't have any clear memory of like be, from behind the car and, and I don't have the memory of the part where I entered the, the intersection. Like that memory is not there. Right. So I'm just trying to like piece together things that I think would make sense. Um, but yeah, so the SUV hit me and, um, broke my tibia and my ankle and there was a lot of people around. So hopefully they gave statements. I'm still waiting on that report to come back. Um, but yeah, so I got taken to the ER and then they put on, put on a cast on my leg and sent me home, you know, and said to come back in a week. And like you said, I don't have any health insurance. So I had to get on 
the out here we have the Medi-Cal, which is like state subsidized healthcare, okay. which is complete crap. Like the care that I got was, it's just, it's just, it's just, let's just say it's a sad state of, of affairs um, mm-hmm. in the state subsidized medical care field because just you, if you're going to see a doctor, you have to basically plan on being there like eight to 10 hours. Because that's what would happen, you know. Right. I I'd spend all day there, and then I didn't even get to see a real doctor. It was like a a resident. Like a sus- okay. Yeah, like a physician's assistant, and then like a resident is a doctor, but he didn't seem like he knew very much. And Probably, yeah, and training still or whatever, learning right. the ropes. Yeah, and and like I said, after a week of having the original cast from the ER, when my foot started swelling. And I had to get it cut off, and I told the the, the ER, the an ER that's closer to me, they said, when did they put the cast on? And I said, the day of the accident, like literally an hour and a half, two hours after I got hit. And they were like, that soon? They put the cast on? And she, the, the, the doctor at the ER said, you know, that's not common practice because I guess they're supposed to allow time for the body part to swell. That's mm-hmm. the body's natural way of like helping the healing process. Right. So if you put on a cast right away, um, and I have pictures of my what my foot looked like, it's not that swollen right away. And so when you put a cast on there, you're basically confining it. Yep. Permanently and it expands and it's right. gonna hurt and like. So yeah. I have a picture of my leg the week after. You know, once it got cut off, and it's twice the size of what it was originally. When they kept, yeah. Yeah, so clearly, you know, it did get swelling. So it was a very traumatic experience. With I've had to have casts cut off twice now. And um, I think I also, from the experience, I also suffer from, it's called cast claustrophobia. Because mm-hmm. the cast goes all the way up to my thigh. So it's like a massive cast. And I, one day when I had the cast on the the after the week of, having it from the ER, I just, I was fine. I was just like hanging out in bed. And then all of a sudden I had a panic attack and I never have panic attacks. Like I, that's just not something that I'm prone to. And I just looked at my girlfriend and I said, I need to get outside right now. Mm-hmm. And so I got outside. I started hyperventilating. I was like, I need to get this cast off. It needs like, I want to rip it off my leg, like so right. bad. I was freaking out. And I think that was my body telling me like you're getting swelling and you need to have it off. Cause sure mm-hmm. enough, that was the night that I went to the yard ER to have it cut off. Okay. So, and that, that was the first cast. The very first cast. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Gotcha. And then, you know, and then I had to go back. I went back a week later to the original ER that I was sent to. Um, I, at first I had to do some paperwork and then I was like, well, since I'm here, I should get the second cast put put on because they said that I will need a cast. Like I shouldn't. It's not ideal for me to be in a splint because it doesn't offer as much protection. Right. And that was stupid for me to think that <laughs> because when I went in to get that second cast, they um, squeezed my heel and the back part of my foot really hard because it's soft when it's setting. I don't know if I've ever had a cast, but they wrap it and it's wet and then right. squeezed it really hard oh. and a little too hard. And I was like, okay, that's hurting. 
And he's like, no, it's fine. It'll, you know, it'll settle. I was like, okay. Um, I mean, I know my body, but whatever. Right. And right. so 20 minutes, he sent me up to get an x-ray, come back down. And then 40 minutes later, my foot is still hurting, like, even more now. And I said, I was like, you know, the bottom of my heel and my ankle, it, I'm getting a lot of pain. That doesn't seem right. Like, I feel like it's being squished really, really bad. He's like, no, it's just your heel. It needs to settle. And, like, pretty j- just dismissed my concern. Yeah. And sure enough, that night, I didn't even have that cast on for more than 24 hours. And I was crying. I was in excruciating pain. And we had to go to an ER and have them cut it off. And, again, like, my toes were cold. They were starting to turn color because, again, I was just getting swelling. And he squeezed it. And didn't allow room for the foot to expand. Mm-hmm. So at, after that, then I got the splint that I have on now. And um, I'm trying to find an ortho that's close to me, an orthopedic doctor, to get a, uh update on, on my condition as far as what what everything, uh, what the bone's looking like. Because it's almost been about a month now. So. Right. Gotcha, gotcha. So it kind of sounds like the the healing process or however, whatever is actually more traumatic, been more traumatic than the accident. I mean, yeah, I mean this, it's funny because I, this is like the least worst accident I've been through because mm-hmm. the, um, the very first accident I had back in 2013, I spent a month in the hospital. I broke my right leg, my knee. Um, it was a compound fracture in my leg uh, I broke my left arm, and I have a uh, plate on my right leg and on my left arm, and I got a concussion, and I had, like, six staples in my head. Mm-hmm. So I spent a month in the hospital. It was really intense. It took me about two years to, like, even walk without a cane or anything. And then the second one, my my left foot was impaled. So that was a really intense one. I had to have four surgeries for that one. Wow. So this this accident, like, it's just a broken leg and an ankle, like, I was like, okay, that's not that, not that bad. <laughs> right. You know, like this is the easiest out of everything. But just the 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 medical care that I've had for it has made it very difficult. That's that's been what the challenge has been because yeah. the injury itself is actually pretty like straightforward. straightforward. To yeah, yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, yeah, that's that's unfortunate. Well, ho- hopefully, as you go forward, you'll get you know better, whatever, more capable medical personnel to just you know whatever set you up properly and not have all these issues and stuff yeah yeah we're 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 trying to find there there are some good doctors that do take medical but it's just like hunting them down and then like um there was a doctor uh like in the orange county area that i got a recommendation for but because i'm in la like there's certain networks within the medical that you can only use certain doctors and so like you know so it's been kind of uh, complicated trying to figure out who takes it, who doesn't, and all of this other hassle. Yeah. So it's sounding also like the persistence factor applies here too. Like we were talking about, you know, riding motorcycles and maybe as a shorter person, like you, you kind of figure out how to do it. And it sounds like you're just having to learn how to work the system because, like the standard care, it sounds like it's just not good. So 
I, I guess it's just a matter, like you said, of getting recommendations and finding who's good and talking to people and, you know, not just accepting mediocre care, but, you know, finding someone who's yeah. knowledgeable is willing to take the time and the care to do it right. Yeah. Well, the, I think the biggest hurdle has been um, I was assigned a um, general practitioner through the Medi-Cal that who was basically a... Uh, I don't know how to put this lightly, but a sexual pervert. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so he was the gatekeeper because to get any sort of treatment for anything, he is the one who has to write a recommendation. Yeah. And so that means I would have to go back to that doctor to get a recommendation for an orthopedic. But I'm never going to see that doctor again. Like my experience with him was not good. And, um, Unfortunately, just trying to get a, a new one is is quite a hassle because on the website they'll have the doctors listed, but then you call them and they're like, oh no, we don't take that. So it's just been kind of like you said, it's been about being persistent mm-hmm. <laughs> to, yeah. to have that. So yeah. it's well, definitely something you know. I I a lot of people are like, oh, you shouldn't be writing without uh, you know healthcare and you know yeah it's not ideal and i i do agree you know and unfortunately not everyone has that that luxury and it's more of a financial thing than anything you know yeah. i've been working two jobs to make ends meet riding a motorcycle was cheaper for me than taking a car mm-hmm. so right. it's kind of yeah. a catch 22 you know yeah, and like you said, the benefits at least in California, you can lane split, <clears throat> so there's the time savings and things. I don't. Are your are your jobs kind of far apart or? Yeah, yeah, my jobs home? require me to travel. So, and I, we have a truck which gets maybe twelve miles to a gallon. So, yeah. when I did the times that I've had to take the truck, it's hundreds of dollars a week. Mm-hmm. Based that is not in our budget, you know. And so whenever I've had to do that in the past, it's just such a financial burden, you know. So that's why I just stuck to riding on the motorcycle, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely get so there's a kind of a practical side to this as far as you know, motorcycle being just the, the most economical, sensible means of travel. But <clears throat> given the accidents you've had, and I mean, you've you've been through some some shit right like regarding these things you must really love it because because i know some people might might be deterred you know and i I could understand but i i could also understand not being deterred you know i haven't been any in any accidents you know knock on wood not going to uh you know i do what i can to take precautions but i know it's funny I, i tend to think were i injured you know in a motorcycle accident i would be back on the bike as soon as i could be just because, like, one, I just love it so much, but two, because it's like I'm not going to be deterred by something I love doing just because, you know, just because something bad happens. And and that's an individual thing. And I know, like, if people do decide that, I respect it, that's fine. You know, it's like, okay, I rode and I had an accident and I'm done. Okay, I, I get it. Like, I have no judgment or anything. But just for me personally, I'd be like, no, I got to get back on the bike. <laughs> yeah. Know, it's like, no, I had somebody who walked up to me and they were talking about my accident and he, some, I think I might have been a nurse or one of the doctors or something that they were like, oh, yeah, I used to ride. And then and so I was like, okay, so it means you don't ride anymore. So I was like, so why don't you ride anymore? And he's like, no, I just had this close call. And and for me, that was it. And I was just thinking, I was like, 
oh man <laughs> i was like a close call is my every day like if i was seven to stop by, by i would have stopped a long time ago because shoot that's but yeah i mean i think i i don't know i i live and breathe motorcycles like just thinking about it like even right now my heart starts getting like beating faster and i get excited my eyes light up like um you know when they brought my bike home from the tow yard i i was on crutches like barely a week out after my leg was broken and i live upstairs so i had to get my ass downstairs and i just like i have to see what the bike looks like you know like i care more about how the bike is doing than myself you know and um yeah i have people like co-workers because i was i've been at the same job for almost five years and i had you know an act a previous accident during that time and they sent me a get well note, and it was funny because several of the people were like, "Oh no, not again!" Like, when are you gonna stop riding? Right. <laughs> like, you're a car magnet, and it made me laugh because I was like, I can imagine a lot of those people think I'm crazy, and I'm sure a lot of people do. Um, but for me, it's just whenever I'm talking to people who are interested in riding, I tell them, you know, it's something that you have to accept as part of the activity the package it's yep. it's part of the package there are things that you can do to prevent and make it less likely to happen you know there's things that you can do to make it more likely to happen and it's all about your mindset and your awareness but know what you're getting into um i i always say you know there is a part of motorcycles that is dangerous and my girlfriend, she doesn't like to talk about this. She's like, she doesn't want to play up that part. You know, she doesn't want to make them like, oh, they're dangerous. But for me, the danger is kind of what got me into it because I like that thrill. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm not going to be stupid and seek out the danger. You right. know what I mean? Right. So it's just, it's kind of a fine line. It's the fine line of knowing that your body is on this machine where if a, ro- a, bi- a big rock came off of a truck or something, your body is exposed, you know, so that you cannot deny that you are more vulnerable on two wheels than you would be in, in a, in a car. So I think I, I, am just addicted to the feeling of being on two wheels. I just, I will do it until I can't do it anymore. And even though I've had multiple accidents that it doesn't stop me, like I, I'm just, that's how, (laughs) died in the wool obsessed i am so. yeah i mean that's like it sounds like it's part of you like that's part part of your life is bikes so it's like that's yeah. just kind of how it is and you know I, I just look at it's like risk reward ratio you know to to me so far at least you know the, what i get out of riding just far outweighs the potential risk and you know that's same thing like not same thing but you know people who who race motorcycles right i mean they're they're taking it to a real extreme, mm-hmm. and you know this guy. I mean, how many times you know they they fall off, they wreck, they get hurt, they have surgeries, they come back. It's just they just love it, you know. Yep. And, and you watch what the guys do, like Isle of Man TT. And I know you guys have been talking a little bit about it on mm-hmm. Creative Writing Podcast. I, you know, I understand that some people would look at that and go, "They're insane. That that's just insane." And I I get that viewpoint. But then you just listen to some of the interviews with the racers and whatever, and you're like, I get it. It's a passion. They just love it. You know, what do you? It's part of their life. What are you going to tell them? Don't you know? Don't do this thing that 
you know, you live and breathe for kind of thing. Yeah. Like what, what kind of life is that then, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I've known people who have gotten into really bad car accidents and you don't ever hear someone say, oh, are you going to keep driving your car? You never mm-hmm. hear someone say that, you know, it's just sure. part of what you do, you know. Sure. And, um, and I think also for me, another element to why I'm so deeply into it and it's just a part of my life is um, like I mentioned at the beginning, my brother rode dirt bikes and that's how I got into riding myself. Um, And unfortunately, my brother passed away at 21 from cancer. Mm -hmm. So he never, he wanted to go, he he wanted to eventually go pro. You know, his goal was to really go hard into dirt bikes and he never got that, that opportunity. And so for me, I had, that was like the one thing, me and my brother, we would have our fights and our differences, but the one thing that really brought us together was two wills. And Mm -hmm. so I think because like losing him, there's something about like now that I ride, it's, it is kind of like this spiritual connection and like the way that I keep his memory alive for myself as well. So it's Mm -hmm. definitely got a deeper sentimental uh, meaning to me. Yeah. Uh, beyond everything else as well. That's really cool. Yeah. That's yeah. Really cool. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, let's talk a little bit about your artwork. Yes. So so how long have you you know been doing art? As um, a, like as long as you can remember, kind of thing. As or? long as I can remember. I mean, uh, I remember the first like quote unquote like art piece I did probably where I saw myself as an artist was when I was ten. And I had um, these light bulbs that had burned out that my dad had put in the garage. And I was doing, I think I was doing acrylic and watercolor. And I was like, well, I'm going to do some like abstract art. I'm a kid, you know, I don't know anything. That's what's awesome about kids is it's like (laughs) there's no boundaries. Like kids, kids, I love kids because they haven't learned like you can't do this and that's not possible and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay, how can I incorporate this broken, this like not working light bulb into my art piece? And so I very carefully like smashed the bulb up into like various different pieces. And then I got my paper and then I glued all of the shattered pieces onto the paper. And then I like painted around it and did different colors, like just really basic, but when I did it, like, that was, like, kind of, like, me seeing myself as an artist in a way. Mm-hmm. And I've just been doing art ever since. Um, nothing professional. I'm not trained. I've taken a few classes, but, like, nothing, like, intensely that I've been trained on. Um, I always loved watercolors. I did watercolors for many, many years. And then I started getting into, like, paint markers. And I've been doing paint markers recently. Um but yeah, it's just something that when I'm not on two wheels, because two wheels is what keeps me sane during the day for the most part. <laughs> right. When I get home, like art is what keeps me sane. Like that's how I kind of decompress and process everything that's mm-hmm. going on in my brain um, and kind of just like unpack and relax. Yeah. So that's that's cool that you have that, especially because. Well, as we know, motorcycling can be a bit expensive, you know, the mm-hmm. <laughs> hardware, and, hardware and maintenance or whatever. And I'm not saying art, obviously art can be expensive, but it's also kind of thing 
like you said, like you could take some <laughs> burnt out light bulbs and, and make art from it. So it's, yeah. it's kind of, it's just the, cre- it's how much creativity and, and whatever can you put into it. So that's really cool too. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've had different phases of my art that I've gone through, but right now I think about, let's see, about nine months ago I had, I was like, I want to focus on solely motorcycle art because Mm -hmm. before I was doing just like random things, just like whatever struck my fancy. Um, But I really wanted to just hone in on that market because, you know, I'm already involved in motorcycles. Me and my girlfriend go to events. We know people. And so I was like, I want to be able to produce something that people who are into motorcycles would enjoy. So that's why I really started recently to just focus on purely like, pictures of bikes or gear or scenes with motorcycles like that's my my focus right now so I'm really mm-hmm. developing that I'm still at the beginning of like this uh pathway but my goal is to to build a nice portfolio of just like all of the all of the motorcycles that I've drawn like I love I love drawing motorcycles mm-hmm. cool so when <clears throat> when you're doing a motorcycle piece is there any particular like where does the inspiration come from? Like, how how do you decide what you're going to do or what kind of bike? Is there any particular um, I usually, process I like, you go through? Or? I like choosing interesting looking bikes. And then um, a lot of times what I'll do is, like the, the last one that I did, I did a BMW. It was like an old school BMW that had been uh, restored. And it was um, all silver in the picture. Mm-hmm. Like, I always have reference pictures. But silver it looked good in the picture but as far as drawing wise it was boring to me so i had to Uh, throw some color in there so that's why it ended up being kind of like a blue green okay uh tinge to it but i love color so anything that's interesting has interesting shapes colors uh those are usually the things that kind of spark my interest and, Mm -hmm. and get my eye Right, gotcha. That's the beautiful thing about art, though. Like you said, it's like, this needs some color. So you put color. <laughs> like, there's no, like, that's the cool thing. There's no rules. You know, it's, it's funny because I do computer programming for a living, and I, I never thought of it, but maybe it's one of the reasons I like photography because computer programming is all about, you know, rules and, and that rigid and the certain ways that you have to do things, and it's very methodical, and, and that's mm-hmm. fine. That's very detail-oriented. But then when I pick up the camera, it's like it's like whatever. It's like anything goes. Oh, let's shoot this way. Let's shoot that way. Let's you know put the settings this way. It's it's so. I, I guess it's a good creative outlet for me. You know, from that like sitting in a cubicle, just you know staring at a computer typing all day. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. So um. So you actually. So you have some pieces available, right? Like if if listeners were interested. Yes, I do have pieces available. I have a um. Instagram that is solely for my um, art and it's called the on Instagram it's called the underscore flying banana so if anyone is interested in checking out my work it's the underscore flying banana and I've been posting up my various different works I'm trying to um, get some prints made because mm-hmm. I know it's hard selling original pieces you know you have they're going to be an original piece is going to be more expensive sure. you know just yeah. because the pieces that i do i one of these days i need to make a video of my process because 
I, I start off with the sketch. I do that on like um, a transparency paper. Then I kind of tweak it a bit and then I transfer that to the actual paper that's going to be like the high the, quality the paper. Right. Yeah. And then I start, I do like an underwash of, of shadows and then an underwash of colors. And then I start to build up the colors um, from there. And then I'll do like some more um, opaque uh, paint marker mm-hmm. uh, highlights. And then I go back over it with like a black pen to highlight the, the outlines. So all in all, like I spent hours and hours on the pieces and sure. it's really hard because I'm, I'm not trying to get rich. So I'm not trying to like be like overpricing my thing. So I try to do fair prices with people, but it can be difficult, you know, because sometimes I'll set a price and I'm like, oh, that seems really expensive. But then I'm like, yeah, but you spent 60 hours on it, <laughs> you know? Oh, totally. So. No, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, obviously, you know, maybe it's not fair, but art is in some ways a market driven thing, right? So it's always just a matter of <clears throat> what's someone willing to pay for it, you know? And mm-hmm. so, uh, yeah, I, I definitely, I wouldn't undersell yourself, you know, it's like, you know, if, especially the, the, the time you're investing, you know, you should get something, you know, get something in return for yeah. it. So, yeah. yeah, I think what my goal is to, if I can sell a couple more pieces, I want, I'm saving up to get some prints made. Cause I feel mm-hmm. like it's more, it's also better when you have prints because it's more available, more people are aware of your art and, sure. um, they don't have to drop, you know, because I've bought a lot of prints from artists and I don't always have money to buy an original piece. Right, you know? right. But prints, there's some really high quality prints that you can get that look just like the, the original. You know? Sure. I mean, like a lot of art museums, you know, you go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art or something like that. And they'll, you go to the gift shop and they have all the, yeah, the prints and stuff like that. And yeah, and I, you know, photographers will do it too. Like, you know, like it's like, okay, here's like kind of the original if you want to buy it. And then, you know, here's reproductions if you want to buy that. So yeah. I, I think it's a great idea. So are you planning, like, you'll still sell the originals? Like, if someone's yeah, interested? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm still going to sell the originals. Um, it's hard. It took me a long time to get to this place because before I never even considered selling any of my art because I got so attached to it. I was like, yeah hoarding my art i have so much art like there's so over the years i've made so many i just have piles and piles of of pieces that i've done Mm -hmm. um but it it was really hard for me to be like okay if you love it you have to let it go and so that's what i'm trying to do because you know i know that other people would like to appreciate some of the pieces that i have so i've been slowly letting go of that possessiveness yeah no understand yeah you put your heart and soul into something i'm sure it's tough to yeah Yeah. to to part with it you know Um, unless i guess maybe it helps if you keep creating right because it's like you got the next next thing that you want to do and it's like oh let me do this cool thing and exactly that's that's your spot on with that because that's what i've been doing is like i'm like okay if i let go of this one then i can make room in my brain to like focus on this new endeavor Right, right 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 that's cool so if uh, if people are interested in your art, what's the best way to contact you? I mean, I'll I'll put your um, Instagram, you know, the page on on the show notes so people could find it. But what's the best way for them to contact you? Uh, like yeah, via they can Instagram contact, or email. They can do yeah, Instagram. Um, contact me via, via there. I'm also my personal Instagram where I also do some art is slayj666. You can reach out to me there. And then you can email me at inkfatty, I-N-K-F-A-T-T-Y, at gmail.com. 
um, you can just shoot me an email. I'm working on getting like a portfolio put together and then publish that online. And oh, once nice. I get that, then I can start. But I only want to do that once I have the prints ready because then it'll all make it so that you can buy a print directly off the website. Right. So it'll be right. easier for people to, to get some of the pieces I've done. Cool. Have a, yeah, have and I do, I do yeah, commissions. So if anyone wants a, something done, just hit me up. I, I'm willing to do commissions, and I try to negotiate a fair price. Good. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, like I said, I can't, I can't wait to see what you come up with uh, for my, my I'm Z. I'm very so excited, that'll be, yeah. Yeah, that'll be awesome. And uh, actually, um, probably what I'll do is once you're – and like no rush, right? But once you're done with it, I'll probably update like the cover art for this episode. Like I'll put you know, your artwork as the, as the cover art or something would be cool. Oh, yeah, yeah that would yeah. be awesome. Yeah, cool, cool. So just out of curiosity, so the inkfatty at gmail.com, what, what does that come from, inkfatty? <laughs> uh, a couple of years ago, a while ago, uh, me and my buddy wanted to start like um, an artist collective because we, mm-hmm. we wanted to do T-shirts. Um, it was a, a potential business endeavor we had been talking about. So we had started, we came up with the name Ink Fat Artist Collective. And then I just started that email. And mm-hmm. it, it, I as, I don't know where, where fatty came from. <laughs> it just, I don't know. I was just thinking of adjectives and that, that was the one that I, That's I funny. I, I like it. I mean, I, I was just curious if there was like a particular story behind it. It's just, it just sticks. Like it's one of the, it's, I think it's good because it's something you, you like, you see it and you're like, yeah, ink, you're never going to forget that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's really cool. It is kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Yeah. So definitely, you know, everyone listening, uh, check check it out. You know, check out Jay's uh, Instagram pages and whatnot, and definitely contact her if you want to get some cool artwork or commission her to do something. I I, I think I think it's awesome. I like I'll, I'll just keep spreading the word for you and just help. Uh, you know, I appreciate help. it. Yeah, that absolutely. Really help more people learn about your art. I mean, I love art just in general. Artists are just awesome people. Um, Definitely, yeah. And if, you know, so, a, a motorcyclist who's an artist, you know, what doesn't get better than that, right? <laughs> yep, yep. There's some really good motorcycle artists that I've met, um, and like mm-hmm. some of their art is amazing. And that was part of the inspiration for me too to focus more on motorcycles because I went to several shows and I was like, oh man, this stuff is cool. Like, I want to do something, something yeah. like that because. Um, I was always kind of intimidated of, of drawing motorcycles because you have so many like parts and uh, you have the proportions. Yeah. And so I think I was kind of holding myself back a little bit as far as not having faith in myself. But I just had a moment where I was just like, fuck it. I'm just Go going to do it, awesome. you know. And yeah, just practice, practice, practice. And each piece that I do, I get a little bit better. So yeah. I think it's just like you said, you know, practice is where it's at. You just got to do something over and over. Awesome, awesome. And I, I like the point you made too about like it just at some point it's just like just let's go. You know, let's just go. It, it was like with that with this podcast. I thought about it for so long and finally I was like, come on, let's just let's just do it. Let's stop worrying about all the what you know, is it going to be perfect? Are people going to listen? <laughs> Let me just get it out there. You know, yeah. and before and before you know it, you're like, oh wow, people are listening. <laughs> this is pretty. Yeah, cool. I know? know it's amazing how much your brain psychs you out yes. <laughs> you know <laughs> exactly. like you finally do the thing and you're like oh my god i was worried about this for so long for nothing you know yeah so. and i think that's one of the things that's so attractive about motorcycling at least for me is constantly being faced with that you know it's like 
because there is that danger aspect to it, you know, and it's like constantly, all right, do I want to do this thing? You know, do I want to, whatever it happens to be, you know, like now I'm thinking about doing track days and I know you guys were talking a little bit on creative writing about that. And even there, it's like, I'm like, it's like, is it that smart to do? You know, it could be dangerous, you know, you're going faster, but it's like, it's just all this mental stuff, you know, that starts to pop into view that you just didn't know was there before and uh-huh. so that, that you just constantly up oh, there's one of the cats so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, have a so um yeah it's just like you're constantly able to challenge yourself and kind of go to the next step the next step and so you kind of keep growing with it i think that's why a, a reason motorcycling is so interesting because it, it doesn't get dull because there's always the next level to bring yourself to mm-hmm. you know so yeah and i mean i don't know honestly I know I'm biased because I'm in the motorcycle world and I ride motorcycles, but I, I don't know. I just, so many interesting people are in the motorcycle world. Cause like you, and I've said this to people who don't ride motorcycles, like we're out there, we're doing something. We're in the moment. Like when I'm not on the motorcycle and I look at the news and then I see people that are like, Oh, so many people are spending so much time online and all this political stuff. And I'm like, Oh, I didn't even know that stuff was going on. Cause I was out. <laughs> I'm riding motorcycle. up and down the coast, you know what I mean? Right. Like enjoying right. life, the moment. Yeah. And for me, that is probably one of the best things about being on the motorcycle is just I have a tendency. I'm an overthinker. I'm a chronic overthinker. I break down obsessively, analyze everything around me. I could be just in a room by myself and I'm analyzing the room and just like overkill. You know, I just have mm-hmm. a very overactive brain. Mind. And so when I'm on the bike, it just frees me from that. Like I'm still paying attention to the road, but I'm analyzing things that are important because I'm saying, hey, is that guy who hasn't looked in his mirror but is slowly moving towards me, is he going to merge into my lane? Or, hey, is that like pothole that's coming up going to be in the way of me, you know, getting into the next lane or whatever, you know? So it's just such an in the moment activity i absolutely love it and it has taken away a lot of the stress of everyday life you know Mm -hmm. a lot of people complain that oh this generation of people isn't happy and blah 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 i'm just like get a motorcycle man because i think it would (laughs) fix a lot of problems you just start to realize what's important and what's not yeah you know because you really do like especially for me you know now that i have this injury i'm just like okay what's important for me right now the most the thing that i realize is most important in my personal life is that i have a partner who despite having a full-time job and lots of responsibilities has like busted her ass to take care of me when i was unable to and it just really hit home for like the appreciation for those things you know mm-hmm. and even though it sucks that i had this accident it really has um emphasized how much i love and care for her and how that's hard to find in the world yeah. you know and it's just those small things that that you realize with motorcycles you yeah. know and i feel that almost every single motorcycle person that i've met has been one of the most colorful passionate types of people just always like i always hear interesting stories it's very entertaining they they just have a vision it's like they're my tribe you know and i can relate so yeah yeah, i love it 
I, I get, and I guess you kind of have to have that sort of personality to be drawn to motorcycles to do this. Yeah, because that's one of the things I talked about too. For you, it's different because you know you, you've commuted, you commute on motorcycles and whatever. But for many of us like me, I, I just ride for the fun of it, you know. And, and I've said like I could sit down you know, as a programmer and make you a nice spreadsheet that would tell you exactly why I shouldn't ride a motorcycle, right? It's it's not rational, it's not logical, yeah, blah blah blah. But it's like, but that I don't care. Like that's not why I do it. <laughs> you know, it's like what you were saying, like there's kind of a spiritual side to it. There's the whole physical side of it. It's just getting out and enjoying and just meeting all these cool people. It's just, it's a kind of thing. Like I know some people, maybe they'll never get it and that's fine. They're just, you know, they're not, they're not bikers, but that, that's why I, I like doing this podcast is my goal. One of my goals is to just help expose more people who haven't thought about riding to what they might be missing. And if they're not interested, fine. But if it's like, hey, wow, like, like me, I started riding at 53. It's like they're like, you know, wow, yeah, I always thought that'd be a cool thing to do. <laughs> you know, if I yeah. can inspire people, it's like you know, so much the better. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I've met some people who started riding like later in life and they're just like, I wish I would have started earlier, you know, yeah, because it's, it's just you get into it and you're just like, oh, man, this is like amazing. It's so freeing. And and it's a great experience. I mean, I I literally I have dreams. I just I took a nap earlier and I was dreaming about <laughs> the accident that I have. Like I have dreams about motorcycles. Me and my girlfriend talk about it constantly. I mean, it's just something. It's it's to the point where like people that we know that we'll talk to them, and once we start talking about motorcycles, they slowly start to walk away because <laughs> they're like. They're not well, riders, you know. But, they're like, oh, yeah. there they go again, you right, know. Right. <laughs> well, I guess that's one way to gauge, you know, who who's a potential biker and who's not, you know. So yeah. Talk yeah. a lot about motorcycles, and the ones were like, oh, tell me more. They're, they're listening in. It's like, okay, well, there we go. So yeah. maybe I'll have, maybe I'll have to start doing that. And I think, I mean, it's really I want to get more people into it because, especially in America, I just like versus in Europe and and Asia. It seems like over there, even if it's like lower CC bikes and scooters, there's way more people on two wheels. Yep. And it's just part of the culture over there. Like yep. somebody always knows someone who's either in their family, who's a friend who has a scooter or a motorcycle. Yep. You know, yep. versus over here where it seems like it's not as it's common. Just a, it's just the crazy people. Yeah. <laughs> and I just feel like, I don't know, there's. I understand that there's weather issues and stuff, but like even in California, you know, like the weather is great pretty much all year round and you see bikers, but I, I just wish there were more, you know, mm -hmm. I think yeah. there's a lot of misconceptions and attitudes that are keeping us from embracing it more widely. Yeah. And so it's, I think there's gotta be a bigger push for us to get the word out to non-riders that, don't be intimidated. Don't be so judgmental because it's actually a pretty awesome, awesome activity once you realize it. Yeah, totally. And, and it's interesting, too, because I was thinking about how art, you know, motorcycle art could kind of play into that, too. Right. Like depending on the kind of artwork and how it depicts motorcycles and whatever, you know, someone's like, oh, it's a really beautiful piece of artwork. Oh, it's a motorcycle. Like, hmm. you know, <laughs> oh, what kind of motorcycle is that? You know, like. So, yeah, yeah, I know. An that's what, another way to communicate it. Yeah, me and my girlfriend were talking about like ways to get. Like, 
I don't know. My memories from like movies from like the early '80s. I felt like I saw a lot more motorcycles. Like you had Arnold Schwarzenegger, and then you know you had uh, Evil Knievel. But it felt like motorcycles were a little bit more mainstream in a way. Uh, And then just recently, I just feel like we got kind of in this like overprotective culture and like this bubble where we have to like, especially with parents with kids where there's, and I I speak from personal experience because I work with kids um, and I just see how the parents are like, uh, uh, with my one job, I teach kids how to use power tools like chop saws to Mm -hmm. seven year olds. Okay. And, you know, you see how the parents look on their eyes. They're like, right. oh, my God, my kid's going to use a chop saw. But it's fun because when I roll up on my motorcycle and all the kids are like, oh, yeah. like, is Jay here? Jay's you know? here. And yeah. I can tell the parents are like, oh, like, don't get my kids in a motorcycle. <laughs> and the, the kids will be like, oh, I want a motorcycle. And I'm like, yeah, you should get one. And I see the parents just shaking their head at me. But I, I do think that having maybe you know more motorcycles in movies talked about in songs like on billboards i think that could be a way to get more people to embrace it you know Mm -hmm. just even even if it's just scooting about town you don't have to get a a leader bike you could even i'm not anti-scooter i think scooters are awesome you know get a vespa ride around uh whatever but just anything to kind of like get that air that that fresh air in your face and just see things around you instead of being stuck in a bubble. We're, we're yeah. stuck in a bubble too much these days. Yeah. Yeah. True, true, true. All righty. So, uh, before we wrap up for the evening, any, uh, I know that we've talked quite a bit, but any final advice you have for new writers, like things you'd recommend to people who are want to get started or are just getting started? Uh, number one, always get gear. St- yeah. Don't, Buy the bike before you have the gear. Um, please, 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 even if just let, let go of your ego, take a safety riding course because it will show you the basics that if you pay attention will stick with you for a lifetime and just learn from other riders, experienced yeah. riders. Yeah. Because I know for a fact, like when I first got on, anytime I get on the bike, any bike, even if it's a friend's bike or whatever, and my girlfriend always jokes. She's like, "Whenever you get on a bike, your your hand just goes whoop like <laughs> all the way back." And she, and I was like, "Really?" She's like, "Yeah, it's like you just flip it, like you just pull the throttle all the way back." And I was like, "Man, I don't know. It's just like a, an urge." Yeah. And I so I know that urge, but just to temper yourself, even though the excitement is there, because you want your writing career to last. So just get out there, but temper yourself and have fun. Because yeah. ultimately, at the end of the day, you will, you will be having fun. Yeah, good advice. I kind of think of it like I've heard racers say that, you know, I forget how the saying goes, but basically, you know, to win, to win the race, you have to finish first. Like, like meaning you first have to complete the race, right? And so along the lines of what you're saying, it's like, you know, you want to have a successful career as a motorcyclist, you have to get home. Like... <laughs> So, mm-hmm. and so that, that's one of the things I think with too is it's like it helps tone down the risk a little bit and the, the you know because there is there's sometimes that impulse to whack the throttle and just be a little crazy or whatever but it's like you know I'd really like to ride tomorrow so maybe if I just chill it down a little bit you know, yeah I think the more. best way for especially like I know it's the young men who are usually 
the highest in the fatality numbers is yeah. if you do want to go hooligan, like get 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 yourself a Grom, get yourself a 125, something small, and then ride around where there's not cars. Yep. You know, that way you can get really wild, you can get crazy, but you're not going to be worried about getting hit by a semi or whatever because you're oh. trying to do a wheelie. And okay. that way you get the craziness out, and then once you're ready to hit the streets, okay, you have some skills as far as knowing the types of terrain you can ride on. But then you have to really pay attention to everything else around you. Yeah, you know, because totally. it, it's just especially if you're gonna do something like for me as a commuter. I mean, I'm kind of glad no one told me what commuting would be like because yeah. it might have freaked me out a bit. But I kind of just I sink or swim for my situation, yeah. and I'm one of those types of people where I'm pretty fearless as far as some people would call. <laughs> stupid but i just throw myself into it you know mm-hmm. and just know your limits you know know your limits yeah yeah well said all right well listen jay i appreciate you joining me this evening i know i had a, had a lot of fun hope you did yeah, too hope i didn't ramble too much i can have no it was, to go off. <laughs> no, it was great it was awesome it was really awesome and so i'm hoping uh people listening will uh definitely check out your artwork and uh maybe you'll get a couple commissions would be really cool yeah, thank you so much for having me on here. I really love I love what you're doing here and I will be telling all of my friends who are interested in writing and even other writers about your show. So awesome. keep it up. Awesome. I appreciate it. Yeah, and I, I like what you guys do with creative writing podcasts. I know Larry's been at it a long time and you know he's got Chris Wiggins on and you've joined. So it's really cool. I really enjoy listening to you guys too. So and, and I just I love how he's tied that, you know, creative writing. It's like not just it's motorcycles and like some art and the whole uh, which I guess it's even more perfect that you're on the show. And I know he's a, a bit of an artist himself. So yeah, that's, that's yeah. really cool. All right. Well, listen, uh, heal, heal up. And uh, we'll definitely we'll keep in touch on Instagram and whatnot. All right. Cool, cool. Uh, and, Thanks and, again. Enjoy the rest of your summer. All right. Have a good one. Right. Awesome. Thank you again to Jay for joining me on the podcast. I definitely had a lot of fun talking with her. So, uh, yeah, if, uh, if you, you like motorcycle art and you kind of want to help, help Jay along as she's going through the recovery process, and, and, and even more port- importantly, I think what she's kind of looking at is this is an opportunity for her. She's been doing art for a long time, and I, I think she's kind of looking at this as an opportunity to, to really kind of start doing it in a serious way, you know, and start making pieces available to people and, instead of just doing it for herself or, you know, kind of as a, as a hobby or whatever. So, uh, yeah, if you like motorcycle art and you want to kind of help support a new, well, not a new artist, but a, a developing artist, you know, someone who's trying to get their work out there, by all means, check out her stuff. And uh, even, you know, if you're interested in commissioning her to do a piece, uh, check it out. I, I'm sure she'd be happy to work with you. So, um, just remember, I still have stickers available, so uh, if you'd like to help me promote the podcast, and, and by the way, so uh, I gave stickers this past weekend to, uh, to Steve from uh, Special Case Customs and, and Alex from Maryland Moto, so I know Steve already put, put one on his bike, so I put a picture of that up on my Facebook page. I thought that was really cool, and uh, I've got one of Alex's stickers now, and I know Steve has some coming, so he's going to send me a sticker that I can put on my bike. So yeah, if you want to help me promote the podcast, you know, just... Uh, Email me your mailing address, and I will send out some stickers to you. And if you want to contact me at any time, just email me at so you want to ride at yahoo.com, or you can go to my website, so you want to ride a motorcycle.com. 
If you'd like to help support the podcast, you can make a donation using PayPal by going to paypal.me slash Christopher Geis or click the donate link at the upper right on my website. Please like and leave me comments and a rating on your favorite podcast service that'll help other people find my podcast. Please like and follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for So You Want to Ride or you can find the links on my website. And just do whatever you can. Keep, keep, please help me keep spreading the word. Help me build my online and listener communities. I definitely appreciate having you as a listener and anything you can do to help me build my community and, and just support and back what I'm trying to do to just build the motorcycle community in general. As always, thank you for listening. And just remember, whatever you do, it's always time to ride. Ride. <laughs>